Today's message title is, When It Rains, It Pours. But, and we'll figure out that but, B-U-T. When it rains, it pours, but. So, because of all the rain, and you know I don't get on social media a lot, but I do my little thing on Facebook, and uh, I don't really tweet at all. I have a Twitter account, but I think I've used it twice. And, uh, but anyway, a lot of my friends on Facebook, when I got on there in the morning to do my little thing, or if I wish somebody a happy birthday in the evening on Facebook, I've seen all these little <coughs> funny gifts or, or whatever you call them, memes or something, about you know a little cartoon of Noah and the ark floating by or somewhere. Noah, uh, one of our uh, friends from college does a lot of uh, animal rescue, mainly canines or dogs. So she posts a little funny cartoon of Noah having a dog on a leash with a little plot of ground, and he was telling him to hurry up so they get back to the ark. But anyway, I know those are all supposed to be funny, but that's not exactly the way that went down. And what happened after the Noahian flood? What did God tell Noah and his family as part of their covenant? He would never again destroy the earth and all the living by means of a flood. And he gave them a sign. What would that sign be? The rainbow, the bow in the clouds. And he said, whenever you see a storm and you see the bow in the sky, that's your reminder, even to us today, that God promised, covenanted to Noah and his family that he would never. So your global warming and your polar ice caps melting and the flooding the whole earth so parts of the land is going to get covered, that's not exactly how God said it's going to happen in his word. But we have seen, as Jimmy mentioned uh, last week, we've seen some you see some unusual weather patterns, just like the inordinate amount of rain that we're getting in the Tennessee Valley these last two and a half years, right? They say actually last year, or so far the last two and a half years, we got an average rainfall during the year that's exceeds Seattle. And everybody that knows about Seattle, Seattle is just raining all the time. But anyway, I'll leave that. I didn't. I didn't, I'm not a meteorologist, nor did I stay at the Holiday Inn Express last night, so <laughs> I'm just reading whatever somebody put, put on a thing from studies that somebody that's actually uh, schooled in that stuff talks about. But anyway, we have been getting a lot of rain. So when it rains, it pours, but remember the boat. Yes. But, there's that word again. The Noachian flood in Genesis, was that the first time that God destroyed the earth and everything with, with the waters, the raging waters? No, it is not. There were two worldwide floods. And until about 25 or 30 years ago, I didn't know that. Because <coughs> I had never been uh, taught anything but you know, Noah and the flood, the little story of Noah's Ark and all that kind of thing. 
But actually, that's the second time God destroyed the earth with raging waters. The first time, if you go back to Genesis, back to the beginnings, is right there in the opening verses of Genesis. So we'll start in Genesis chapter 1, and we'll jump up to the time of Noah's flood, and then we'll see how one is sort of patterned after the other, and must be. And that there was two new beginnings, one in Genesis 1, and then one in Genesis 7 and 8 and 10. So Genesis chapter 1, we'll go right back to the beginning. In beginning, and yeah, I intentionally left the article out because it's not there in the Hebrew in Genesis 1. In beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth became formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, deep and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Where did that water come from? Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there came evening, and there came morning one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Where did those waters come from? And let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse heaven, the first heaven, and there came evening and there came morning a second day. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then he went on and talks about the, the vegetation and all that. And we know that story of Genesis. Then go for, jump forward to Genesis chapter 6. We'll start before that. Genesis chapter 6. And as I stated earlier, Jerry and I did not get together to talk about what we are but it just sort of happened that way. So Jerry's first person he pointed out in the uh, Sunday school lesson was Noah, and we started in Genesis chapter 6. So I'm once again piggybacking off of Jerry's Sunday school lesson. Genesis chapter 6. Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them that the sons of God, who are the angels, 
The sons of God, they were called sons because of creation. God created them, and they're called sons of God. Saw so that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took them, literally, took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his day shall be 120 years. The Nephilim. Who are the Nephilim? The Nephilim were the offspring of these hybrid, the hybrid beings that were spawned by the fallen angels, literally, fallen ones, coming down, leaving their proper abode, and coming down and cohabiting with uh, earthly women and producing these off-hybrid beings, these Nephilim. Who were not human. Sometimes, I said earlier, before I really got the, my eyes open to studying the scripture and understood all the, the, about the Nephilim and all that, I was had as a young man, sometimes I had problems when you read like the Israelites being told to go and just wipe somebody out. Right? Just like Jerry was talking about. Samuel went to Saul and said, hey, the Lord said you need to go. The Amalekites were the first ones that met them, remember when they were coming out of Egypt and tried to stop them. Well, see, the Amalekites were a race that was made up of these Nephilim. Right? So God said, go over there and just wipe them all out. They, they weren't human. Okay, so there was no redemption for the Nephilim. Right? They were they were spawned by Satan having this some of the fallen angels that fell with him going down trying to cohabitate with women to stop what from occurring? Jesus Christ from being born. They weren't human. So he told Samuel to tell Saul, go wipe the Amalekites off the face of the earth. And of course, as we heard in Jerry's lesson, did Saul obey? <coughs> no, in his mind he did, but you know, partial obedience is not obedience. Partial obedience is not obedience. But anyway, I digress. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. Verse 4 of chapter 6. And what was that next phrase? And also afterward. So after Satan's attempt here early in Genesis, who was there to meet the Israelites when they were trying to go into the promised land? These hybrid beings. You think Satan's not doesn't know what's going on? See, after his failed attempt here, then who populated most of the promised land when Israel went was told to go and possess it? 
hybrid beings from this offspring were there. Remember, they said we were, what did the spies say? The ten bad stuff. We were as grasshoppers in their sight. The, the battle is the Lord's. Remember Goliath, the story of, the story of David and Goliath. Goliath was a hybrid being. Those are maybe nine, nine and a half feet, ten feet tall, depending on where you read about what a cubit is now, how long a cubit was. But the battle is the Lord's. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Because mainly of their size and their unusual strength and size. The, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. <coughs> That's how bad it had gotten by the time. See, this may have occurred back earlier on because you can't you don't read the scriptures and it's not all in some chronological order right you need the first 34 verses of scripture in Genesis gives you the whole panorama of what's going to happen and then God rested And then after that, it's just commentary on what he's already stated before that. So you don't read through scripture and it's just that and flow like in a chronological. And I know they put out those chronological Bibles. I, I don't read those, but I'm saying you shouldn't read them, but I mean, it's just different for me. So. Uh, six, verse six. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah, and here's the verses that Jerry's uh, focused in on, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Noah was the tenth generation from Adam, which ten in the scripture is a complete number. Who was the seventh generation from Adam? Enoch. What was stated about Enoch? Enoch walked with God. And he was not because God took him. 
So Enoch the seventh from Adam, seven, another complete number of scripture. Enoch is a type of the church. Noah going through the flood is a type of the nation of Israel. Right? So the church has no connection whatsoever with the tribulation. Amen. None. Say it again. <laughs> the church has no connection whatsoever with the tribulation period. Amen. Once again, the tribulation period is called the time of Jacob's trouble. Yes, the earth dwellers, the unsaved, unregenerate Gentiles that are left here will have to go through that same punishment. But the main purpose of the tribulation is to bring the nation of Israel to repentance. So we see the seventh generation from Enoch, the type of the church, he walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Then the nation of Israel will have to go through the tribulation period, but they will be born through it, not each one individually, obviously, because we know millions of Jewish people will lose their lives in the tribulation. It'll make the Holocaust of World War II look not as bad as it really is. Okay. Not diminishing that, but I'm just saying there'll be more Israelites lose their life in half the span of time as the World War II to, to kill six million of them. So it's the time of Jacob's trouble, but they will be born through it. Verse 10. Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark of runes and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. And he tells him to make a window for the ark and all that. Skip down to verse 22, which Jerry also pointed out. Remember, Noah was a righteous man. Right? He'd found grace from God. Verse 22, thus Noah did according to, what's that next word? All that God had commanded him, so he did. Partial obedience is not obedience. Jerry pointed that out with the story of Saul, the first king. And the Israelites said, hey, we want to be like everybody else. 
We want to be like all the nations around us. God, we don't want you to be our king. We want to have an earthly king like all the other nations. And then like Jerry had said in Sunday school, the first test that he gave to Saul is he told Samuel to go to Saul and say, wipe out the Amalekites. And in Saul's personal obedience, he thought he'd done his job. Partial obedience is not obedience. Chapter 7. Number two worldwide floods. Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. You shall take with you of every clean animal by sevens, a male and his female, and of the animals that are not clean, two, a male and his female. Also the birds of the sky by sevens, male and female, to keep offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For after seven more days, I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights. How long did it rain in the Noahian flood? Bingo. See, Mark's already done something. <laughs> but in all your church life before, I understand before you either ended up with uh, A.E. Wilson or something, or, or ended up understanding the kingdom truths. But most of my childhood life growing up in church, I didn't know the flood, it rained for 40 days, 40 nights. Anyway, let's go on. And I will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made. Verse 5. Remember Jerry said God wants to drive this home to you. Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. Now Noah was 600 years old when the flood of water came upon the earth. Remember he was 500 years old. <laughs> and it said he beget Shem, Ham, and Jacob. And that's also when the Lord came to him. So it may have took him a while to build the ark, but during that whole time he was testifying to everybody on earth, hey, something's coming. Right? For 100 years. And was anybody listening? Nope. Verse 6, no, 7, sorry. Noah, well, we can do 6. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of water came upon the earth. Then Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him entered the ark because of the water of the flood. Uh, clean animals and animals that are not clean and birds and everything that feet on the ground. They went into the ark to Noah by twos, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. It came about after the seven days that the water of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open, 
and the floodgates of the sky were opened. Everybody get that? Where did the water come from? Two different places. Who had placed the water there? God did. Back in Genesis chapter 1. <clears throat> Verse 12. The rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them, entered the ark. They and every beast of the beast after his kind, and all the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind. We don't have to get it, time to get into the after its kind. And every bird after its kind, all sorts of birds. So they went into the ark to Noah by twos of all flesh, in which was the breath of life. Who gives the breath of life? God does. Those that entered, male and female of all flesh, entered as God had commanded them, and the Lord closed it behind them. I used to run right past that verse. Who told Noah how to build the ark? God did. And then who shut the door? God did. Amen. God did. And the Lord closed behind him. See, the it, it is in italicized because it's not really in Hebrew text. Verse 17, Then the flood came upon the earth for forty days, and the water increased and lifted up the ark so that it rose above the earth. The water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. The water prevailed more and more upon the earth so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. The water prevailed 15 cubits higher, approximately 25 feet, and the mountains were covered. All flesh that moved on the earth perished. Birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth and all mankind. Of all that was on the dry land, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life died. Thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, and they were blotted out from the earth, and only Noah was left together with those that were with him in the ark. The water, verse 24, the water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. So after 40 days and nights of rain, the ark floated on a shoreless ocean 25 feet above the highest mountain. 
Then the waters prevailed for another 110 days. So how much water do you think was encasing the whole earth? How much higher did another 110 days of rain raise the water level to where the ark was floating on a shoreless ocean above the highest mountaintop? Because the word for rain here in the Hebrew is, I think, Geshin. I'm probably butchering that. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. They transliterate it in English letters as G-E-S-H-E-M. So, however you want to say that. Really has the core meaning of torrential rain. Because remember, obviously, he, God himself in chapter 1 had moved the waters and created the expanse between the waters that were above and the waters that were below. So the pre-flood, the second flood, Earth's topography was obviously different than it is nowadays. And there was obviously a massive vapor canopy, really, that enveloped the earth that gave it a greenhouse type effect, not a true greenhouse because there was air movement, which is probably the breath of God. But obviously the mountaintops weren't as high in the pre-Noachian flood time, nor were the oceans as deep. But God moved the waters into two places. So literally, it took 150 days, and I know, once again, I'm not a meteorologist, and I know this stuff isn't boring for you, I'm just trying to get points off. It took 150 days for all that water that was creating that canopy around the earth in the first restoration, back in Genesis 1, to come down. 150 days. Chapter 8. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark, and God caused a wind. And that's really, it can be translated wind, but we'll see, just remember that term right there. To pass over the earth, and the water subsided. Also, the fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were closed. And the rain from the sky was restrained. And the water receded steadily from the earth. And at the end of 150 days, the water decreased. In the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark rested upon the mountains of Ararat. So, you know, we've all heard the stories, you know, guys in the past have gone and they've sent search teams out and they're trying to find Noah's Ark somewhere encased in ice at the top of the, the Ararat mountain ranges and stuff like that. But is that really what this verse is saying here? That it came to rest upon the mountains of Ararat? Because 
Remember, if it had just rained torrentially, we said after 40 days that the mountaintops, the highest mountaintop was covered by at least 25 feet of water. Then it rained another 110 days. So at the end of torrential rain and the fountains of the deep bursting forth, would it really, at that point in time, the ark was floating on a shoreless ocean once again with hundreds, possibly a thousands of feet of water above the top mountain peak, would it would all of a sudden come to rest upon the mountains of Ararat? Well, no, the Hebrew word translated upon there in verse 4, which is A-L, Al, I guess, I wouldn't say that in Hebrew, probably Al or something, I don't know. But uh, it's, it's determined by context, but it also can be translated over or above, just like it is back in verse 1. It's the same Hebrew, Hebrew word where it says a wind God caused a wind to pass over the earth. That's A-L right there. But then for some reason, the translator down in verse 4 put upon. So literally, with the verses before that and the verses after that, if you stay in context, it really should be that after 150 days when God shut off the water that was coming, the ark rested above or over the ark rested above or over the mountains of Ararat. And who was in the ark? Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives. And who is Noah typified in Scripture? The nation of Israel. And the flood, the Noachian flood, typifies that time of judgment or that time of judgment coming, the time of Jacob's trouble coming, the tribulation period, which the nation of Israel, the nation, will be born through. And at the end of the tribulation, they will repent this time. They didn't repent as a nation through the Holocaust, right? No matter how severe that was. But right here in Genesis, we're told that the nation of Israel at the end of the tribulation, after they've repented, will be in a place of rest above, and what does the mountains typify in Scripture? Kingdom. So what the Noachian flood shows you is what's going to be in the future for the nation of Israel. Does the nation of Israel have a future? Oh, yes, they do. This stuff about the church replacing the nation of Israel and all that stuff. Um, once again, if you take that par allegorical, parabolic, parabolic allegory, you know, origin, which was just in the second century after the, in the 200s, origin when it came up with that school of theology, parabolic where you allegorize all the Old Testament. If you take the literalness away from Scripture and do just start making stuff up. So what this here in Genesis shows us is that in the future, after the nation of Israel is carried through the tribulations and they repent and they look on the one whom they pierced and a 
nation is born in the day that they will be placed back in their rightful place and they'll be in a place of rest over the other nations of the earth. Yes. They will be the head instead of the tail yes. that we see them in today. Yes. And it's all foretold right here in Genesis. Right here in Genesis. The Old Testament is complete in and of itself. Thus, there's nothing in the New, as we've stated before, that wasn't first already in the Old Testament. Can't be. Because the Word was made flesh in John, God, John chapter 1, right? The Word became flesh before a single word in the New Testament was penned. So for anything in the New Testament to not be in the Old, then your word would have been incomplete when it as incarnation, which is an impossibility. That's the reason we spend all this time on you know words and their meanings and all that is to get the point. You miss truths like that, which I missed up till 30-something years old. If you don't take the time to dig into this book, dig into the Word. Remember, after the fall, basically God told them that. What did He tell Adam after the fall? By the sweat of your brow, you will eat bread. What is the bread? What is the bread of life? Yeah. By the sweat of your brow. I'm not telling you it's an easy task to do. It takes work. But we were told that back in Genesis. After the fall. By the sweat of your brow you will eat bread. When it rains, it pours. But that day is coming. Right? But the church has absolutely no connection to this, with the tribulation. So in Revelation, there, when it says you'll be saved from that time of tribulation or whatever, it's not talking about saving them people. They're already believers. They're at the judgment seat of Christ. It's not talking about saving them from the tribulation because we don't have any connection with the tribulation. Amen. Church doesn't. The time of Jacob's trouble. Boy, we've been getting an ordinary amount of rain. What? An ordinary amount of rain here in the Tennessee Valley. But he's not going to destroy the earth with a flood. We'll see some real global warming there in the future. <laughs> right? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the ability still here in the United States of America to come uh, full before your throne of grace and to open your word freely and to study it. We pray that each one of us here 
would take advantage of that and study your word on a daily basis. We'd all have eyes to see and ears to hear. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.